There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Coming up on DTNS, Tumblr sells for tech pennies on the dollar. Will Snap's newest spectacles find their market? And a DEFCON wrap-up extravaganza. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, August 13th, 2019. Tom Merritt is out for Worldcon this week. From Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From San Francisco, I'm Shannon Morse. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Before the show started, Shannon and Roger and I were talking about our favorite kinds of ice cream and what ice cream does not deserve our time. We talk about all sorts of wider conversations on our expanded show, Good Day Internet, and you can join in on the conversation by becoming a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. In a blog post, Microsoft's Mojang development team announced the super-duper graphics pack for Minecraft was canceled, citing that the pack was too technically demanding to implement across devices. The update was originally announced at E3 in 2017 and promised to add dynamic shadow and light models, screen space reflections, material-based lighting with 4K resolution support while keeping the game's raw underlying assets untouched. A recent FCC filing hints at an upcoming release of a wireless Super Nintendo controller for the Nintendo Switch. Discovered by Reset Era user Link83, the filing contains an image that looks like the back of an SNES controller and has a model number that seems in line other with other Nintendo Switch model numbers. Oculus co-founder Nate Mitchell announced on Reddit today he's leaving Facebook after seven years and is going to take some time off to spend it with family, calling it bittersweet news. Mitchell most recently served as head of VR product at Facebook. His Oculus co-founder Palmer Lucky was reportedly fired from Facebook in 2017. And CBS is merging with Viacom. The two companies split up in 2005 and have been in negotiations over the last few months. The new company will be rebranded Viacom CBS and Bob Backish, current CEO of Viacom, will become CEO of both companies. Viacom CBS now owns Showtime, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central and Paramount Network and, of course, CBS. Somebody on Twitter called it a conscious recoupling of the two companies. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> I like it. I like it. 
On Monday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Verizon had agreed to sell Tumblr to WordPress owner Automatic for an undisclosed amount. Axios originally reported that the deal was well less than $20 million. Within a few hours, though, that reported number had fallen to a reported less than $3 million. Now, that's significant because back in 2013, Yahoo paid $1.1 billion. So people were saying $20 million, what in the heck? Now, within a few hours of that initial $20 million number, the reported number dropped to a reported less than $3 million. It was $10 million somewhere in the middle there. So we went from under $20 million to a real fire, fire sale at under $3 million. Again, Yahoo paid uh, over a billion dollars for Tumblr back in 2013. And Verizon acquired Tumblr when it purchased Yahoo in 2017. So Verizon was the current owner until yesterday. Verizon then banned adult content on Tumblr back in December of 2018. You might recall it led to some angry users and actually uh, 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 fewer users as well. A lot of people left the platform for others. Automatic CEO Matt Mullenwag says that he doesn't plan to reverse the adult content ban. So anybody who was excited about that not happening, not at the beginning anyway. Mullenwag tweeted on Monday about that, quote, I think the internet and adult content seekers will be fine. Life finds a way. If people want big policy changes here, put pressure on app stores of Apple and Google. No one else has any leverage. Mullenwag also said that Tumblr will serve as a complimentary site to WordPress. Well, okay. Besides the fact that it sold for such little money, which really points to Yahoo running it into the ground. Shannon, I mean, were you, had you been active on Tumblr lately? You know, what are your thoughts on, on, on this huge price drop from just six years ago? No, um, I have never been an active user on Tumblr. It's always been something kind of on the outskirts that I was just kind of looking in on as sometimes a reader, sometimes a follower of content, but generally was never an active user. I did have a lot of friends that were on there as community members, either posting their own personal fan art or works of art, tons and tons of like, uh, like anime people in that anime community. They were a part of the Tumblr scene. Uh, so a lot of them were very upset because some of them like drew adult content and they were taken off of the mm -hmm. Tumblr website. Uh, so I can speak kind of as a third party watching how upset they were uh, noticing the changes in Tumblr and seeing how it kind of just died after that ban. Uh, I'm not too surprised about the price changes here. Three million dollars. That is not a lot of money at all. And, it, uh, and it apparently less. I mean, you, yeah. you, don't hear, you don't hear numbers that low, even with platforms that were once huge that that kind of get sold off to other companies in their dwindling twilight years. This is low. I mean, you can't buy a house in San Francisco no. for under three million dollars <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's, it's sort of shocking. It is. It's very shocking. Um, at that point, it just seems like they were just trying to get rid of it, just giving it to whoever would give them money to, I don't know, pay the bills at that point. And after that, they were just done with it. I really hope that they do bring it back to life, though, because Tumblr did have a very big community, uh, especially for those people that I had mentioned. So I know that they are still there and I know that they want to find a platform that would work for them. Uh, he, he mentioned, of course, Mullenwag did mention that he's not going to bring back the adult content, as you mentioned. Uh, it's still going to be banned. So we're just going to have to see what happens. Yeah, I, 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 I used to be a very active Tumblr user. I haven't for some years. So you know, there's probably sure. some, some, some cool features that, that I didn't even know about because I probably haven't logged in in two years. Um, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, if we take the price tag aside, a company like WordPress is probably the best company to buy 
a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a platform like Tumblr, because WordPress and Tumblr work very differently, but they achieve the same goal. And perhaps WordPress feels like there is a need with its user base or its potential user base um, to have something that's a little more simplistic. Maybe there's some social networking capabilities that, you know, that, that, that get bundled in that WordPress doesn't really um, take advantage of now that can, that can make the, that, that can be more attractive for automatic as a whole. It could definitely be pretty cohesive for both of them. Uh, Snap announced Spectacles 3, a limited release redesign of its AR sunglasses. The glasses come in either carbon, which is black, or mineral, which is a beigeish gold color, uh, feature a sleeker look than previous spectacles, and add a second camera to add depth perception. Snap added in some new 3D effects and says the glasses can capture 70 videos and more than 200 photos on a charge, and offers four gigs of storage. Spectacles 3 also comes with a 3D viewer, similar to Google Cardboard, for viewing 3D creations on your phone. Spectacles 3 goes on sale in November for $380. Last year's model was $150. So we're seeing a a pretty definite increase in price on the new ones, but they also seem to come with a lot of nice new features. Yeah, new features, but double, more than double, uh, quite a bit more than double the price of last year's model is my, my, my first takeaway from this is, okay, they look pretty nice. I know there's only two colors and it's a very specific style. This is a style that I personally don't look very good in because I've tried on sunglasses that kind of have those, you know, the, 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 the roundness sort of with the flat top. But I, I think that they, they look pretty sleek. However, for this price point, let's think about the people who are going to buy spectacles. Snaps, the, the majority of Snaps user base is, is young folks, right? Right. And when we occasionally talk about what young people are doing the most on social networks, Snap is always like number one or number two among people between 16 and 24. So when you match that with this price point, you're really pricing the majority of Snap's user base out of buying spectacles. I mean, $380, that's a lot, you know, at any age, but certainly if you're a teenager. Who in that market point, in that price point and age is actually going to be able to afford these classes? And what's also, it seems limiting. Okay. They look nice. Okay. Maybe Snap is saying, well, we're trying to um, appeal to an elite group of people who are very fashion conscious, which Snap actually said that they were, uh, which might, which might give them an out if they don't sell a lot of them. Like, well, we only sold them to people who consider themselves very fashion forward. But (laughs) the, the spectacles, while they do have some new features, they also don't do things that the people complained about in, in previous models, such as you can't upload anything from the spectacles directly into Snapchat, which is something that you would want to do, right? That's the right. whole point of it. You got to get them into your iPhone, mess with filters on the iPhone and that, or, or on Android device, and then, and then go to Snapchat from there. So it's as cumbersome as it was before. Uh, you know, it, was, it would be like the Apple Watch continuing to need an iPhone paired with it at all times. People get sick of that after a while. So it seems like the, it's they're making inroads in places that people didn't necessarily ask for. I uh, think it's kind of fun how fancy they look nowadays compared to what we originally saw with like Google Glasses back in the day. True. Um, 
I think that this is also going to help change the perception of, of people's view of surveillance when it comes from somebody's glasses and kind of compare it akin to smartphones, which we see day, day to day and don't necessarily consider to be surveillance as somebody is holding one of those in a public place. So it will be pretty interesting to see how these uh, uh are are perceived from the public, especially at that price point, and given that they look so much better than originally like Google Glasses. Well, speaking of surveillance, four dating apps, Grindr, Romeo, Recon, and 3Fun, I have heard of one of those four, collectively claim 10 million users, so there are a lot of people using the platforms when you put them all together, were found to expose users' exact locations in near real time just by knowing a user name. Researchers at Pentest Partners created a tool that used spoofed latitude and longitude locations to receive distances to user profiles from multiple points, then triangulated the data to return the almost precise location of a specific user using publicly accessible APIs. In Grinder's case, the location can even factor in altitude. Huh. So if you know what building someone's in, you might know what floor they're on too. When uh, contacted by ThreatPost, Romeo, the app said, it allows users to reveal a nearby position rather than using GPS though that isn't a default setting, which is important. Recon moved to a snap-to-grid location policy after being contacted by the researchers. That's where an individual's individual's location is rounded or snapped to the nearest grid center, so it's not as precise. Grindr didn't respond to the researchers at all, at least at the time of this recording. And 3Fun, the researchers dubbed a train wreck of leaked locations, pics, and personal details. This is horrible. It is. From so many privacy standpoints, you you think about dating apps, especially uh, the fact that you are meeting new people and Mm -hmm. they are generally going to be pairing you with people that are near you in some kind of sense. So you're already having somebody that's nearby. What if, for example, this is totally up in the air, but what if you go on a first date and you completely upset the person you go on a date with? Technically, they already know your username and they might have social engineered other information out of you. They could easily find you with this location data. And yeah. that's very, very scary. Well, and, and sure, because I mean, if they, they would know your username if you met them on the app, right? But this right. could also be used if for some reason you could figure out someone's username, even if, yeah, even if you weren't, you hadn't gone on that horrible first date. You know, the, the whole idea with dating apps is we know that apps have. Uh, data privacy issues across the board. Talk about them all the time on the show. But dating apps specifically, they always, you know, they they they're they're so much more cringeworthy because there is an expectation or at least an implication that you are maybe looking for love. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. There's all sorts of ways that we can define this. But this is going. You're going to get more creep factor uh, with someone who knows where you are, what your habits are. You know, somebody's. Somebody knows where you are one time. Oh, that's you know, that's that's that uh, that would make me uncomfortable. But if somebody kind of could follow me around throughout the day, and I didn't know it, and I wasn't totally sure of the settings, which a lot of these dating apps they don't make a big deal about how you can protect yourself more because the whole point is 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 location information helps the app get stronger. It's uh, it, it's a real issue, and I'm not totally sure what the answer is besides people just being more aware of how, how these apps work. But it's also on the app too. When you first sign up, be super upfront about you know your personal safety because it's going to come back to the app eventually. 
you should have the option to opt in, give your consent to a lot of this, this accessible information in dating apps. I mean, think about the potential for stalkers or for harassers to be able to, like, like you said, follow you around. It's a very, very creepy vulnerability and it puts a lot of people at risk. So I am glad to see that some of these apps are making changes, but they, they should have done it in the first place. It shouldn't have come down to researchers doing this research for them. Yeah. So moving on, the information reports Apple and Spotify are in talks to allow iPhone users to control Spotify playback of songs, playlists, and albums through Siri. The new integration would come from new APIs in iOS 13, which opens up the Siri framework to third-party music, podcast, audiobook, and radio apps. In March, Spotify filed a complaint with the European Commission over the App Store and Apple Music, saying, quote, Apple won't allow us to be on HomePod, and they definitely won't let us connect to Siri to play your jams. That language has now been removed from a website Spotify launched at the time. Spotify for podcasters is also out of beta today, now giving all of its podcasters data on their listeners' music taste, age, gender, location, and duration of episodes listened to. Around 100,000 of the 450,000 podcasts in Spotify's catalog signed up for the beta program when it launched last October. The dashboard is available globally, but only in English for now. Yeah, so Spotify being able to be played uh, through Siri, I I don't have a Spotify account. I I I use Apple Music, so this was not an issue that I've had. But boy, do I know a lot of complaining folks who have wanted this feature for some time. So that's cool. Um, it sounds like Spotify and Apple are playing nicely together. You mentioned Shannon that Spotify had not so long ago, just a few mere months ago, complained that Apple was not going to let them do this. So the, the, you know, it might just be uh, new APIs in iOS 13 and everybody's happier. Um, might be a little bit of a handshake deal between the two companies. Hard to say. <laughs> we don't have any evidence of that. But uh, but in any case, the users win. Spotify users anyway, if you, you want to use Siri. But I'm more excited about these podcasting tools because as podcasters, anybody who's a podcaster really knows that getting data on your listeners is a, is a hunt and peck operation at times. It is so hard. I mean, one thing that I've always been curious about is the average view duration for my Threatwire podcast, the audio and video version that I upload, uh, mostly because on YouTube, I know exactly how long people are, their average view duration of is in an episode. And that's extremely important if you want to have advertisers on your videos or if you want to make some money through sponsorships. So having that same kind of data through podcasts, which is quite booming as an industry right now, would be so important. And I feel like this is going to potentially help a ton of podcasters make this more of an income generating content platform, as opposed to kind of an extra thing that you offer to people. Yeah, I, I've been uh, so frustrated with the uh, iTunes Connect, I think it is, version of Podcast Connect uh, via iTunes, um, version of how I can try to get data on the podcast that I produce, some of them anyway, because the data is really limited. You know, you've got streaming data versus download data. It's, you know, Apple will only give you I I iOS device data, uh, and some people definitely listen to stuff on desktop. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating to the point where sometimes I don't even, I don't even want to use the data because I know that it's missing so much information and I'm not getting a super clear picture, although any data is good, 
better than none. But it does sound like, yeah, Spotify is is going the extra mile. And the fact that 100,000 of its 450,000, and it's invite only, I believe, it was last time I checked, um, had already signed up for the beta shows that, you know, there are a lot of interested folks. So now that it's a public uh, feature, at least public for people who are on the platform already, I can see a lot of people taking advantage of it. Me too. To get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. All right, Shannon, you were at DEF CON. We were not. A lot of news came across our desks. Um, Sounded like it was a pretty interesting year. It was, yeah. Um, I did notice some trends this year. I love the fact that y'all covered the election voting village uh, yesterday on the show because that was very, very fascinating. Um, the fact that I think that is Galois, I think that's how you say it, uh, that they brought a open source platform there for the voting hacker village was very, very cool. And it was really nice to see that there is some growth in that community, because that is a very, very important uh, uh, platform that we need to make sure there's no attack vectors in. So even though there was a lot of downtime in that open source platform, that machine that was brought, uh, they were still able to use it on the very last day. However, we're not going to see any kind of coverage from the election uh, voting machine village at DEF CON for a couple of weeks until they finally get all of that research done on those machines and the people that were there, the hackers that were there uh, hacking on those machines all weekend are able to release that content once they find all of the information that they want to put into reports. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably see more information in the future. What I thought was really fascinating about the election village was the fact that there were a lot of representatives that decided to come out and work alongside a lot of these hackers to see how these voting machines were being hacked and what kind of vulnerabilities were available. Uh, So for example, U.S. representatives uh, Ron Wyden from Oregon was there, Ted Liu and Eric Swalwell from California, they were all there. A lot of them were kind of meandering with the hackers trying to figure out what was going on. 
in the hopes that they would be able to strengthen cases that they could take to legislation, to Congress, um, for this proposed legislation regarding election security. Uh, we do know that there was a election security legislation that did get to Mitch McConnell, but it was turned down um, a couple of months ago. So I'm really hoping that with the election village, we start to see some changes and hopefully some actual proposed legislation that does get passed before election season comes in 2020. So they still have a year. We still have one yeah. more DEFCON. Is, is, is politicians kind of showing up at DEFCON and <laughs> walking around <laughs> with hackers and, and being seen? Is that new? Is that something that's been done before? Uh, it is kind of new. In the past like five to six years, that is a fairly new concept. Uh, back in the earlier 2010s, we there was still this game called Spot the Fed that was played <laughs> at DEF CON where feds weren't necessarily welcome at the hacker conference. So mm -hmm. if you spotted one, it was kind of a play-by-play -play, like, hey, we can take you in the back room. Both of you get challenge coins since you're a fed and this hacker was able to spot you and you both get t-shirts. So a hacker would get a t-shirt that's said spot the fed and the fed would get one that says like i am a fed or something like that you don't have to wear it but <laughs> right it's kind of a silly way to call I wear it to the gym <laughs> wear it around the house so we fed. didn't we didn't just see a whole bunch of like election village type of like ICS machines and stuff like that there but we also saw a lot of consumer devices that were being hacked on as well uh, for example, I did want to throw a couple of out there. The Canon EOS 80D, there was a whole talk that was on this Canon DSLR camera, which apparently has several different vulnerabilities, which were found by Checkpoint's EL uh, Itkin. Uh, he was giving a talk about how he was able to find vulnerabilities on Canon firmware that would allow him to put malware on it uh, and eventually allow him to ransom images. So for example, in IoT, we see a lot of vulnerabilities that would allow somebody to hack into a network through some kind of pivot point and ransom your computer, just basically like shut it off and make you pay money, make you pay Bitcoins most likely uh, in order to gain access to your information again. And we're seeing a lot of cities being hit with ransomware as well. So apparently you can also get hit with ransomware, which will hold the images on your camera, even if they're on an SD card, ransom. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? Uh, well, it, I mean, it's it sounds like... Yeah, man. Picture transfer <laughs> protocol. I mean, that's it's it's something that it's 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 it, it surprises me that we're just now hearing about it. Yeah, you know, honestly, me too, because uh, cameras have been wirelessly or wired connected to computers for a very, very long time. And that's exactly what this researcher was trying to focus on was the fact that you can as long as a thing has some kind of connection, there's likely a possibility that you can hack it. Uh, even moving on from there, we saw other IoT devices like LeapFrog's LeapPad Ultimate. Uh, a, a researcher at Checkmarks was able to figure out that these little children's rugged tablets, and this is not the first kids IoT connected device to be hacked, uh, these are usually used for education and games and stuff like that, learning uh, for children. Well, apparently it can also be used for attackers. So they can figure out the device's location. They could send messages to kids and mm. do man in the middle attacks and find location data about the, you know, the age and the name of children that are using these tablets. 
the messages to kids, uh, when I was looking through the research on this, didn't seem too bad because it was based off of an app that only allowed you to send already like already spelled out messages. So auto-generated auto-generated messages back and forth between other kids that are using these. But if they were able to gain access, which they easily could within the vicinity, if they had the information on this device, uh, they could send one that said like, Hey, come outside, let's go out to play. And if a child got this, they could eventually abduct a child. So there is a little bit of there's there's some fear going on there because that is a potential for you know a, a child's safety. Uh, luckily, in this case, Leapfrog did uh, interact with checks marks or check marks really really quickly, and they were able to fix the vulnerability. However, some of the older tablets still have that vulnerability built into them, so they're hoping that lots of parents will be able to update their devices in the near future. Um, Enterprise printers was another hack that I thought was hilarious. This involved lots of different brands, HP, Ricoh, Xerox, uh, Lexmark, Kyocera, even Brother, which we've even used in our office spaces. They have flaws, allowing attackers to crash the entire printer, or they can also spy on print jobs. And since these are enterprise printers, that means that oftentimes there's a lot of very secure, sensitive uh, information sensitive information that is being printed out mm-hmm. on these machines. So the, the researchers in this case, they were able to work with all of these different printer manufacturers and get them updated. Each of the vulnerabilities have patches, which is great. Uh, they also brought to mind a very critical mention that printers should be thought of as IoT devices. A lot of times we don't look at them as such. Uh, we update them once when we plug them in and get a brand new one, and then we don't update them after that. So they made it very, very important and they made it very clear that we should be treating everything that gets connected, even these older devices like printers, as IoT devices that have these vulnerabilities. So yeah, it was an interesting the- year. Yeah, it, the IoT device vulnerability conversation, it, it seems like it, it's continuing to expand um, right. as, 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 as more and more folks are, are, are getting on the train of IoT devices because they're fun and they're convenient and it's cool. But, uh, but, but those are a lot of vulnerabilities, which also leads to, that goes back to the voting machines, the idea of having secure hardware that's local to the device um, that can protect you in situations. And yeah, when you throw kids' devices in there, um, it's just such, a, such another layer of, of people really needing to understand how this stuff works and, and the companies being responsible for making sure that, that uh, especially young people are safe. Absolutely. I'm really happy that we have DEF CON as uh, available to hackers and penetration testers because uh, this time of year is when we see a lot of vulnerabilities come out and a lot of these companies fix them too so that they can give these talks about these uh, problems. So we're very lucky that we have this available to us. And um, I'm looking forward to next year too and seeing how the election village takes off from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably why politicians continue to go to DEF CON too, because <laughs> you know, politicians historically, not always the most tech savvy crew. You know, if you're hanging out at DEF CON, you can kind of get your persona into, into something that might help your platform in the future, not to name any names. Hey, thanks <laughs> to everybody who participates in our subreddit. Submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. Join our group, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. In the mailbag today, Rami wanted to weigh in on our Chrome incognito discussion from yesterday's show. Rami writes... 
I agree that websites should not be able to detect that a person is using incognito mode, but websites are able to know the browser session is coming from the same person who used a different browser. Browser fingerprinting is easy. Rami then links us to an EFF article that explains more. He says, not to mention that ISPs can know the sites that you visit, not the single pages if the website uses TLS or SSL, but we don't need to confuse incognito with VPN. The main reason for incognito mode is for the browser not to use or save cookies and session data. I use incognito mainly to stop ad tracking, YouTube tracking, and news discovery for Google products. Rami says Google tracking is the most aggressive and annoying. If I open up a couple of websites about a topic or I watch a couple of videos on a channel, then Google starts suggesting that topic and video everywhere. Rami says I also use incognito when someone wants to check their email on a shared computer because the incognito browser won't see logged in sessions and won't save new ones. Shannon, where do you stand on incognito mode? Because we were kind of talking yesterday, uh, Tom and Roger and I, uh, about, you know, some people use it religiously. Um, you know, I'm sort of a, you know, on and off kind of person, depending on what I'm doing. Um, I'm kind of on and off as well. And I realize that I am sacrificing some of my security for that convenience. I do want Google to give me the correct recommendations when I'm on YouTube. Uh, There are certain sites that I prefer to support uh, whenever I know that they are you know, tracking my my location or my information whenever I'm visiting their website. Not many, but there's a few that I want to support. So I do use incognito mode when, for example, I'm traveling and I do need to connect to Wi-Fi. I will use that alongside a VPN. So I have kind of that double security. Um, and he's right. We, we shouldn't be mixing incognito with VPN because they are used for separate entities, just like he said. And I'm sure y'all have discussed before. So yeah, I I could definitely understand his point of view. And um, there are parts of it that I absolutely agree with. Um, But I am definitely not a religious incognito mode user in any sense. Yeah. Well, Shannon, we're glad you made it back from DEF CON in one piece. And uh, we look forward to doing this all again next year. Let folks know where they can keep up with all your fabulous work. Well, thank you. Yes, I lost my voice, but I'm here. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Threatwire. I will be releasing a DEF CON wrap up over there as well, which will cover a ton of information about DEF CON, including some of the stories that we talked about here today on DTNS. So definitely check it out. And I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks to our patrons as well. You're wonderful, folks. You can become a DTNS member and then you're a patron and get an ad-free RSS feed. You get special episodes, how we make the show, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Sometimes we look back on tech news of the past. Over the last week, Tom's most recent editor's desk covered public key cryptography. Roger's weekly newsletter covered productivity tips for file management. And you can get all of that along with DTNS and GDI as a patron. Sign up today, patreon.com slash DTNS. Reminder, Tom Merritt is out because, well, he's going to Worldcon, but there is going to be a Dublin DTNS meetup. So if you are in Dublin on Saturday, August 17th at 6 p.m. at Laguna, which is right in front of Mayor Square, the stop anyway, on the red line, uh, you know, go go say hi, buy him a beer and please peruse our fine selection of DTNS stuff. Have you been there lately? Maybe you need a new t-shirt. Maybe you need a mug. DailyTechNewsShow.com slash store. Our email address is feedback at DailyTechNewsShow.com and we're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. You can find out more at DailyTechNewsShow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this 
at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.